time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test all right, Tyler, today's sermon is love like this, love like this. It's, it's fascinating to watch kids grow up. The, the hallmark of these past few years is being tethered so much more to the house. And as a result of me being tethered so much more to the house, Consequently, I have had a front row seat to watch our daughter grow up slowly. When the pandemic first started, our daughter was only three years old. In a few months, she'll be six. As you watch a child, you notice parts of their personality that are like yours. Facial expressions that are like yours and and even lately when looking at pictures of myself I have noticed that our daughter has facial features that are just like mine Yeah, by the way a kid walks and talks and expresses their sense of humor and oftentimes just by looking at them You can tell who's their parent You, you can tell what family they belong to when it comes to the Christian Similarly, I wonder what is the distinctive that identifies what family we belong to? What is that thing, that, that identity marker that suggests that a person is the part of the Christian family? What is the believer's birthmark? What is the, the facial feature of the faithful? What is the characteristic that helps people call out, I, I know what family I know what family that person is from. Is it our ability to memorize or quote scripture? Is it our lingo infused with catchphrases like I'm blessed or have a blessed day or, or the prayer hands emoji that shows up in our comments on Instagram? Is it church attendance or church membership, whether it is in person or online? I want to suggest to you that none of those are what marks us. But what Jesus says, according to John's gospel, is that the way that the world will know that we are Christians or followers of Jesus Christ is through our love for one another. Yeah, not the size of our Bible. Not, not the length of your skirt, not the style of your hair or the lingo you use. No, it is through our love for one another. Let's look at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 for the sake of this sermon from the contemporary English version. It says, but I'm giving you a new command. You must love each other just as I have loved you. If you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. I, so I want to kick off this series in the month of love by pressing upon us the importance of love within the Christian community. J John writes to provide the readers a look at Jesus 
And he does that with the objective of driving anyone who reads it to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He provides through the Gospel of John seven signs or seven miracles of Jesus as evidence of Jesus's divinity. And as John does this, he is simply trying to get the belief, the reader to believe in the midst of John building this case for belief. John recalls some important moments that happened in his life with Jesus. Uh, He recalls especially some final moments that he had with Jesus before Jesus was betrayed, before the crucifixion. He recalls some very important moments that he had with Jesus. Out of John's recollection, John tells the story uh, of some words that obviously had a lasting impression on John as a believer and as a as an apostle. And all of the years that have passed between the time that it happened and the time that John finally sits down to record this gospel, this thing has stuck with him. This memory, these parting words from Jesus have stuck with him. He says that Jesus, when effectively giving parting words to his disciples, those who had been walking with him and living with him and following him and learning from him for the past three years, that during this time, these final moments that Jesus tells them that the one thing that they absolutely have to do is love each other. This will effectively be the glue that will keep the movement going in the absence of Jesus. This will be the thing that is necessary to animate their lives together with one another in Jesus's absence. And it will be this love that will be the outward sign to the world that they are legitimate followers of Jesus. I think that this exchange that Jesus has with his disciples can be instructive to us today as modern day followers. I I think it can challenge us to consider what is of utmost importance as we seek to live out our faith in authentic ways day in and day out. I I think that by looking at this, this story that John shares, these words of Jesus that John leaves with us, I think that it can push us as we live in a very self-centered time to examine what it looks like to live faithfully in a community with other Christians. I think that it can help us figure out how to live within community with other Christians in ways that do not only consider us and ourselves, but in ways that cause us to show up for other people in meaningful ways. So let's look at the text. When I look at it, I see three things that I want to lift up for the sake of this sermon. Three things that I want to share, first of all, of them is that Jesus tells us who to love. Verse 34 says, but I am giving you a new command. You must love each other. The group De La Soul has a classic song that that I think describes the challenge that some people have today. Uh, the The name of the song is Me, Myself, and I. When it comes to the way that the faith has been branded in the midst of this American rugged individualism kind of culture that we live in right now and the way that the faith has been branded, it has often been presented as our need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Let me say that while it is true that you do need to have a faith that is your own, mama's faith isn't enough, daddy's faith isn't enough, your partner's faith isn't enough, as the old saints used to say, you need to know them for yourself. While I will acknowledge that that is the case and we do need to be personally devoted as followers of Jesus Christ, let me say to you that it does not mean that we need to engage with the Christian life as individuals. You see, there's a difference there. In short, what I'm saying is that there is no such thing as an only child in the family of God. No, no, we were saved into a community of believers and this community of believers stretches all across the world. Yeah, all of us were saved into this one community. All of us, even those of us that don't really like people like that. All of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of us, even those of us that are introverted, all of us, all of us were saved into a very large family of other people who believe in Jesus Christ. Black ones, white ones, Latinx ones, AAPI ones, people in the States and people in places all around the globe, all of us were saved into one family. And so what it seems like Jesus is getting at in this passage is that within the family of followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we think inclusively and that we get this love thing right. Yeah, we may not all agree politically, but we need to get the love thing right. We may not all like the same stuff, but we we do need to get the love thing right. We may not. Uh, We may agree to disagree on some stuff, but we need to get the love thing right. What I'm talking about is not merely a sentimental kind of love. It is not merely a box checking kind of love, but it is a love that sees the humanity in the other person. It is a love that looks at the other person and despite differences or disagreements, looks at them and realizes that there is some God in there. That that person was made in the image of God, that that person was created and was shaped by God, was fearfully and wonderfully made by God and washed in the blood from Calvary's cross by God. Not only in this passage do we see the instruction on who to love, but let me share with you that secondly, we see in this passage instructions on how to love. Now, there are multiple languages, languages that were used. uh, Excuse me. I should say there were multiple words that were used in the Greek language to describe what we have all kind of summed up into one word in English called love. Alyssa, Alyssa wrote, who is a writer for Christianity.com. I I think that she does a good job from a layman's perspective, uh, kind of breaking down the basic terms of these different, uh, um, these different Greek words that can be translated into the word English word love. Uh, The first is storge. Now storge is a familial kind of love. It is that kind of affection that one has for family simply because we are blood, because we are from the same bloodline. 
Now, when it comes to family, you may not have any other connection. And had you not been family, you may not have been ever been drawn to that person otherwise. But because they are your family, that kind of love, that kind of love exists. That that is storge kind of love. The second kind of love is eros. Now, eros is romantic love. This is the kind of love that encompasses sexual desire, that encompasses lust. It is that kind of love that two partners have for each other. It's that love that Toni Braxton was referring to when she's saying, I love me some him. It is from this word eros that we get the word erotic. It is romantic love. There's a third kind of love, which is phileo. Now, phileo is a friendship kind of love. It is brotherly love or sisterly love or sibling kind of love. It is the kind of love that one has for a best friend. It is from this word that we get the name Philadelphia or the city of brotherly love. But then there is one more word for love that they had that I want to talk about. This, of course, is not the exhaustive list, but there's one more that I want to mention to you. There, this word is agape. Uh, Roe writes uh, in this uh, particular article uh, for Christianity.com and she describes it. She says that agape love is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of the other. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. It it is this kind of selfless love, agape love, that that is the kind of love that God has for us. This is the love that Jesus has in mind when we look back at the text. If we were to go back, let's look at verse 34. It says, you must love each other just as I have loved you. Yes, this kind of love that Jesus uh, reaches for here, the Greek word that he uses here is not eros, is not phileo, is not storge, it is agape. He says, in the same way that I have given you this agape love, I want you to reciprocate, not just by giving it back to me, but by loving each other in that same way. What Jesus says here is that the way I have loved you all unconditionally, the way that I have loved you by being willing to forgive you, the way that I have loved you by being willing to sacrifice, even to the point of sacrificing my life. That's the way that I want y'all to love each other. Some of us have been socialized because of race or gender to always put others above ourselves because we are at a different place in the pecking order of society than everybody else. Jesus is not here talking about subservience. Let let me make that abundantly clear. Jesus is not talking about subservience. Those that have been uh, uh, um, forced to be subservient to other people because of race, because of gender. Jesus is not here saying that there is virtue in that. He is not saying that that is the call of the Christian is to let oneself be dominated, oppressed, subverted. 
Now, Jesus is here not talking about subservience. He is not talking about oppression or caste. What he's talking about is when the will of a person is willing to look at themselves as equally worthy, but to be willing to sacrifice for the well-being of another person, not by force, not by social custom, but simply based on one's own decision. That kind of love. That that kind of sacrifice, that's agape love. I want to raise a question to you this morning. How would the church all over the world look if we operated with agape love? How would we begin to take up each other's problems as our own if we functioned with agape love? Would church hour still be the most segregated hour in America if we functioned with agape love? What would white supremacy find a home in denominations and churches if we functioned with agape love? Would patriarchy find a comfortable place to settle in our churches if we functioned with agape love? Would pastors compete against pastors and churches against churches if we functioned with agape love? Would church members ever side eye other church members if we functioned with agape love? It is a mimicking of the love of Jesus Christ. That that is that is what we're doing when we're showing up with agape love. That's the work of the Christian. Let me say to you. Agape love requires forgiveness. It requires us being willing to keep short accounts when it comes to each other. It requires us to operate with that same kind of grace that we get from God and that we get from Jesus Christ. That that is what is required of us if we are to function in agape love. It is a kind of mandate that begs the question, How long does God hold the grudge against us? What trespasses of ours have been so great that Jesus refuses to apply his redemptive blood to? That that is what engaging in agape kind of love causes us to have to ask ourselves if we are to love like Jesus makes us have to take a step back and look at how God loves us, how Jesus loves us. Yeah, there is no sin too great. There is no trespass too big. There is no thing too grievous that he will not forgive us for, that he will not allow us back because of. Yeah, when we were kids, we used to play the game, follow the leader. That is effectively what Jesus calls us to do in the way that he loved his disciples in the way that he loves us. He's just saying, follow the leader, do the same thing and love each other in that way. Let me just ask this question. Can I push you today to do a love audit? To ask yourself the question, how am I loving other Christians? How am I loving the people in my church family? How am I loving other Christians, even the ones that don't look like me? How am I loving the other Christians in my family, my blood relatives? Am I showing up for those people in ways that mirror 
the way that Jesus Christ has shown up for us. Let, let me push this thing along. Let me say to you thoroughly and finally that I see in the text why we should, uh, why should we love? Thoroughly and finally, why we should love. Verse 35 says, if you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Let me shut this thing down by saying this. Gangs have handshakes. Fraternities and sororities have steps and colors. Countries have flags and anthems. Sports teams have mascots and fight songs. But when it comes to Christians, the thing that we have that is our hallmark, our identifier, the marker that says that we are followers of Jesus Christ is not a handshake, is not a color, is not a step. It's not a flag, it's not an anthem, it's not a fight song, it's not a mascot. It's love. It's how we love each other. This is how we show the world that we are connected to him, that we are followers of his. It's not carrying around a Bible. It's not how much of that Bible we can quote. It's not a cross around our neck. It's not a hairstyle. It's not lingo. It's not prayer hand emojis. It's love. Let me say to you that pride and ego and unforgiveness and selfishness, all these things are the antithesis of the Christian movement. That's not what Jesus was about. And so the way that we show that we are truly his followers is by showing up with unconditional love for each other.